Hello and welcome to Prestige, a podcast all about films, filmmaking, film theory and the people who make films. Each week we pick a movie, we review it, talk about it, talk around it, discuss some of the ideas and themes that it throws up and we always end with our recommendations of further reading, further watching inspired by the actors and or director of the film of the week. But before we kick off, we always begin with a little catch-up on what else we've been watching. So, Rob, how are you? This week I have been watching a TV series that I've been looking forward to for a long time. We've discussed previously the books from which it came, and that is the BBC drama series Strike. Based on the books by Robin Galbraith, who is a pen name for J.K. Rowling, it's about a private detective and his assistant um, solving various murders and various other things. It's hard condensing the books down into three episodes of TV, mm-hmm. uh, but so far it's kind of been exactly what I've... In, in my head, it's been very, very close to what I was seeing. I think the two main leads, Tom Burke and Holly Granger, are brilliant. They're both kind of perfectly pitched. Um, and so, yeah, on the whole, it's been very good. We had discussed previously, both Sam and I enjoy mm. the books... Um, and it's been good to see the show come out as well as I thought it might. It, it has been. I've, I've been watching as well. Um, I really like Tom Burke. I think the portrayal of Strike is really good. Um, I think well, Robin is, is one of my least favourite parts of the book anyway. So I wasn't disposed to look kindly on that although Holly Granger is very good she's a touch old touch older than I thought Robin was well than she is portrayed in the books but yeah yeah. I I, I thought Strike was older in the books than he is in the show yes I I think he's in the show he's a bit too young and she's a bit too old they're a bit too close in age they do feel, feel like they're playing more towards the well, they won't they aspect of the books rather than anything yeah, else. Yeah. Which, if, if, you, if you haven't read the books, perhaps in the series, it's a little more in the background, shall we mm. say, than the um, than the uh, the books uh, than the TV show portrays. But yeah, otherwise, I mean, very enjoyable, really good fun. What about you, Sam? Um, I started watching the third series of show that I've seen the first two series of. The Netflix original Narcos, which was about um, the exploits of Pablo Escobar, and it's no spoiler to say that the second series ends with Pablo's death that was always planned. So, this is the first post Pablo Escobar episode, and I had to turn it off halfway through, which is Bizarre, given how much I love the first two series. But it turns out that what attracted me was the portrayal of Pablo Escobar and also the portrayal of the American lead, who is no longer in this. Mm. And it's narrated from his point of view, and he's a very flawed individual. And it's really interesting to have as counterpoints these two individuals who are good and bad in very different ways and mm. it, it just lost all that completely and I was bored by about 
25 minutes in, so I stopped watching. So that, I'm afraid, although the first two were brilliant, the first two series were brilliant, I would put them up there with lots of TV series that have been touted as excellent, lots of box sets. And they're generally fated. The third series was a huge letdown for me. See, that's one thing I think I need to learn when it comes to TV series, is the idea of the sunken sunken cost fallacy. I feel, because I've invested two series in a show, I should see it out. Yeah. Um, and I'm not very good at, at walking away mid-run mid, mid run because it's got terrible. Right, I've, I've decided... Well, in my head, I've sort of decided, well, this is no longer the same series because mm. we don't have Escobar, so... I am just. I'm. I. I can see what you're saying, but I can find it quite difficult. Although I did that with Mad Men. I only saw the first four scenes of Mad Men, and then wasn't on board with it, so I stopped. I saw it at the end, and it got better. Yeah, oh, right. Okay. Well, then it's not always the best policy. <laughs> so this week, guys, we are starting our our new month, our new director, um, and this week we are going to be looking at. Well, this month we're looking at Akira Kurosawa and his filmography. And we are starting with his, what year was it? His 1948 film, Drunken Angel. In many ways, Drunken Angel is considered the first Kurosawa film. Well, he had made films prior to this. This was the first film in which he was free to make the film he wanted as much as you could under US censorship at that time. He was free from studio interference. He was free to write and direct the films he wanted to make. The film tells the story of essentially a doctor living in the slums of post-war Japan, treating locals. Uh, he interacts with a, a local gangster, a local accuser. Um, when dealing with a gunshot to his hand, discovers he also has TB. And the film essentially is the burgeoning friendship, if you can call it that, between the two, and the effect they have on each other's lives and on the local populace. It is notable it is the first of, I think it's 15 or 16 films that Kurosawa did with actor Toshiro Mufin. Mifun, I'm terrible at pronouncing things, um, who is one of the most famous Japanese actors of all time. And this was their first interaction, going on to make many, many films. And I'm sure as we go over this month, we will talk about them again. So, Sam, I honestly don't know what your exposure to Kurosawa and his his sort of filmography was prior to this, this month. So I'm intrigued to know what you thought of Drunken Angel. Well, well, I have seen a couple of films, and one of those we're going to talk about later on this month. Um, I'm I'm not sure. I I think I mean I was was very tired when I saw this, and I think it may need rewatching. It may need you to tell me what I missed as well. Um, I I wasn't sure about this film. This film didn't didn't entirely grab me. The thing the thing that I come back to about this film is that it feels very much like a play. 
even when you have um like the the warnings of TB right at the start, but even before he diagnoses him, which is about five minutes in, but you have him talking about TB, and that felt very much the sort of Chekhov's gun thing that you see in the theatre. It was hugely theatrical. I felt. And this wasn't always a bad thing. The sort of in some of the interior scenes with the interaction between the the main characters were felt very theatrical again, and and they they were good. I I was I was drawn in by that. But overall, I kept thinking of your um the the sort of the credo you have about films that does this need to be a film. This feels like it could be a play. That's what I felt about this film. I wasn't sure that it was it was very cinematic in the way that I was expecting. Fair enough. Now, and this is I want to ask a few questions here just so I can gauge where we're at. Mm. Do you know much about post-war Japan and the era in which he's making this film? Not hugely. No. Fair enough. Uh, I might add some context here that might help understand a bit of what this film is maybe about please do um post-war japan you have the u.s occupation of japan and they're living heavily in censorship there's a lot of censorship going on mm. um and this time also is what's well, not the birth of the yakuza certainly the expansion of the yakuza in japanese society yeah yakuza and being i mean being mafia Mafia, yes. Yes, Yakuza being the Japanese mafia, mafia, yeah. um, the gangsters of of that, um, and Akira Kurosawa has been on record many times for his deep seated hatred of the Yakuza. Right. Um, his his view that they are that they are a poison on Japanese society, um, and that they are at odds with what everything he considers Japan to be. So this film is is made in that context in that he views the very existence of the accuser as a as a plague upon their society. And we've often discussed in the past about films that are important but may not be that good. Mm. And what I don't think this is I think this is a good film. I think the importance of this film is greater than its quality. Right. I yeah. really enjoy this film. I think it's a very. I mean, if you view it as like a film noir out of Japan in post Japan, it's a very good film. But the reason why it's on this list and are the four films we picked to watch for each director, the reason why I picked Drunk Angel is for its importance rather than the understanding that it's a very good film. Yeah, I can it's see it, and it's, it it seems to be important from what you're saying as 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 much for its place in Japanese society. Talk about the Yakuza. It also seems to be important from his place in the filmography of Kurosawa with his the start, start of his relationship with Mifune. And it, 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 he considered it his first film. He considered it his first, the first film that was his. Right. Um, so I think if we're looking at his, his, his work as a whole, it's, it's, you can't ignore this film. No. Now, I can see what you're saying about the, the nature of it maybe working better as a, as a play. Um, but I think that that is true a lot of the time, but as a f- whole unit, it wouldn't work. And I'll touch more on this later on, but I think there's moments, things like there's a camera shot at the end, and we'll 
jump right into the bullets here. So if you haven't seen the film, please go see it before you because we are going to spoil things in this film. Right at the end, in which, uh, excuse me, in which Matsunaga dies, there's this camera pan up. And the film has been very on the same level of the director, the character, all the way through the film. You get very few pans up. The, you know, you're you're living in this world, this uh, this, this slum they're in. You can only see the the the, the um, poking over the tops bits of elsewhere. But you have this shot at the end where she dies. Where she dies, you pull up, and there's sort of that where they're trying to do something. Yes, you're in the you're in the infancy here of of Kurosawa's sort of filmmaking, rather. But he's trying to do things with the cameras here, and there's little bits here and there in which the cinematic nature of being able to follow someone through and have this, I don't know, the kind of different place and you being able to use the camera shots and the shots when they're fighting in the, in the paint and being able to see this kind of one of them suddenly it's all in white on one side and one is and all that kind of thing these little vision motifs I think make it worth this film that being said I think there is an interesting stage play in here um, mm. but I'm glad this is as a film shall we say I see what you're saying that towards the end certainly with that fight rolling around in the paint and then also with Matsunaga's death if yeah, I mean, that that is something that would work on the stage. Also, and this is not something I put in my recommendations of this week, partly because I don't know very much about it, but it felt occasionally there was something very Buster Keaton about the way that the actors, particularly in that fight with the paint, there was something that harked back to days of slapstick comedy, even though it wasn't comic at all the situation, but the way they were sort of falling over and there was something quite quite fall esque about the way that they were interacting. Well, given Kurosawa's view on on Yakuza, it's hardly surprising that he maybe didn't paint them as, as the most you know, effectual and, and badass killers. Yeah. I think it's also, also worth talking about, talking about context, is that talking about films out of post-war Japan, this is one of the very few that isn't about the GIs isn't about the war right. um, and returning home soldiers and all the films of, that made about Japan at that time about modern day Japan were all about the GIs and the that kind of situation and about mm. the war and this whilst the war has effect on it and there, there's a reading of this film that is all about the war it isn't in the same way actually about the, the, the text itself isn't about the war even if the meta text is I see no and there are lots of, I mean, I've said the start, I don't know very much about the situation in Japan post-war, but I do know about um, analogues in other Asian countries. And there is a, like you say, there is sort of the, the war is, is in, the, in the shadows behind lots of things that go on. So you have 48 independence in, in India and Pakistan, for instance, but... A lot of that was driven by what happened during the war. So there will always be something in in a film, in a, in a piece of culture released at this time. You're right, there will always be a sort of spectre of the war behind it. It's kind of lurking there. Mm. Now, one, now we, we always try to find a theme to talk about. We always try to find a sort, of a, a sort of a motif to talk about. And the one that really struck me this reoccurring theme film and it works on a textual and a subtextual level is the idea of disease um and i think that 
obviously there's the, the easy reading of that is in terms of the character's TB and one's doctor. Um, and the doctor himself, which we haven't discussed probably, is suffering from alcoholism. Clearly he suffers from uh, a problem with a drink. He, he actually gets the point where he runs out of alcohol for his patients because he's drunk it all. So even these characters are themselves within the film are diseased and affected by things, and you could look at that even a step beyond that in terms of things like his nurse, who, whose ex partner, ex husband, which we've ever established, um, who was an abusive partner, has now been released from prison, and she feels this draw back to him, and it's clear that he's he's left her infected by her, and she 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 will never kind of quite get over that. Mm. Um. What did you did you kind of see the same sort of things in the film? Actually, the, the more you say it, the more I, I keep thinking about these other characters and the way that you're right. There's something inherently flawed about the doctor and his assistant, and even and Nogger obviously with the the TB, but even his boss with the way that he interacts with the Carter. And there's a suggestion. Is there another boss above Ricardo? Yes. I'm not quite sure. Yes. So there's, there's a suggestion of, of hierarchy as well. And I wonder whether what Kurosawa was doing here was suggesting that, I mean, as you said, he's so vehemently anti-Yakuza, but suggesting that there is something inherently diseased about being, about organised crime. Hmm. I agree, and this is where I think we get into the subtextual idea of, of poison and, and disease. Yeah. Is that you, to him and to this film, Yakuza is a disease on society. Yes, they are draining, and yes, in this film we see it as a drain on on Matsunaga himself. That there is this other life there for him. He can run away to this country. He can get out, and it feels like towards the end he is going to get out, till his nature and his Yakuza nature. In, sort of steps in he ends up being um starting to fight his way out shall we say rather than just walk away but the idea that this is it's part of society that's dragging it down um and and you know you look at the shots they use to sort of just show these um the hues it is it is sordid and it's dancing girls and it's that kind of thing and there's this real feeling of kind of crime to it um, balanced out by the character of the schoolgirl who does beat TB mm. um, she's an interesting counterpoint to Matsunaga in this that he that he could have got free like he could have got free he could have got over TB he could have survived the whole thing if he just had the willpower to do so but he, he didn't he, his, his infection of the um, Yakuza virus if you want to call it such a thing kind of meant he couldn't mm. I wondered whether I wondered how accurate that was, not being medical myself, but I wondered how realistic it was to suggest that you could overcome TB this relatively easily, the way that this this seventeen-year-old girl does. And that was something I thought. Well, I would like to know more about disease and know whether mm. it it felt a little bit like Kurosawa was saying. If you are Yakuza, if you have um, tendencies towards crime in this way, then you're going to suffer from TB and you're not going to be able to get away from it. But if you are pure-hearted and you've talked about um, good versus evil, and if you are 
if you're if you're willing to work hard and and live a clean life as this young schoolgirl does, then of course you're going to beat TV. And I wonder whether it's as easy as that. I I, I imagine it probably isn't, but in terms of filmmaking, they made it easy. Yeah. The other thing I'm talking about disease that I think the film returns to more than once is the location and this diseased swamp that seems to be the core of the of the community in which they live they've got this clearly was maybe a, a pool once but people are dumping waste into it rubbish into it and it's become this bubbling sort of mess and we're treated to various shots of things lying in it sort of old bits of junk and and sort of diseased water and it feels like Kurokurasawa is kind of just, you know, saying this this is this is the core of it. Like post-war Japan, like the 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 center of of Japan is rotten. Mm. So even the good people in this, which are the you know the doctor and and his family, are still being dragged down by this disease. In their case, alcoholism. But it's just like you can't. Think, it almost feels in many ways kind of like a Greek tragedy. Part of this that you don't that every, everybody's destiny is written that they can't escape who they are and where they are mm. because of the nature of until you can clean up that swamp no one's going to get out quite yeah and that's something that you have with the doctor right at the beginning that he and you have that scene where he's shouting people across the swamp not to associate themselves with this um, clean water. I, hmm, one thing that we're we're forced to grapple with as an audience is is why the doctor does this. Is when his nurse says this is what you do, and he tries to deny it and then does it anyway, or when. She says, you're needed, you're in to go, and starts getting his stuff together, and he says, there's no way I'm leaving, and then the next shot is is him at Manzanaga's bedside. You think, well, why is he doing this? this As in, this... Why, why is he caring so much for Natsunaga? Or why yes. is he... I, my, my personal view on that uh, is redemption. Mm. In that you, you, you do see a scene in which he clearly meets up with an old colleague. Um, who now works at a clearly nicer, bigger hospital, has their own cars and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And Matt Nagger does say later on, you know, he suddenly appraises. And so I I, I sort of posit this kind of prehistory to this film in which um, the Doctor was a respected Doctor uh, who fell on hard time as you doing to his drink um, and clearly is being dragged down by where he is. But I feel he sees Matt Nagger as, as kind of this... This avatar of which, if he can save Max Nagar, then he can save the city. Mm. Um, what it says about the fact that he doesn't um, is an interesting kind of question the film leaves us with. But I think that's the, that, that my, my view is that why he was so invested was it was kind of for him trying to see if this man from TB and by extension trying to save him from the accuser lifestyle. That's his redemption as much as it is Max Nagar's. Mm. I suppose he, I mean, though he doesn't achieve it with Metzlager, he does achieve it with this schoolgirl. And maybe mm-hmm. that's what Curacao is saying, is saying that, well, you're not going to achieve redemption from working with 
the Yakuza, so we need to get rid of this disease. We don't we need to stop relying on these people? Mm. I think also you say you can't save someone who doesn't want to be saved. True. Yeah. The, the girl wanted to be saved, and so he, with the work from from the doctor, managed to save her. Mm. But Max Nagger didn't want to be, or couldn't fight his urges, and in the end, his his desire to be saved was overridden by other desires. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that that's there's something just trying to say there around this desire to um, that you've got to want it a bit more, shall we say? Yeah. Right. Well, Rob, do you have any suggestions for us based on this film? So I, I've got two: one thematic and one, I suppose, visually thematic. Uh, I'll go for the second one first, shall we say? And towards the end, when Matsunaga was in his fight with Okada, I couldn't help but draw the line between the visuals of the now very ill Matsunaga and the 1922 film Nosferatu. That same kind of sullen face and the harsh shadows, it, all I could think about was Matt Shrek and, mm. and in, in, the, in the Nosferatu film from the 20s. Yeah. It had that same kind of look um same you know the other one would probably be cabinet dr caligari from that same era but it just had that same kind of feel that kind of almost black and white era horror moviness um so i'm sure we've mentioned us right in the past on the on the show um it, it is a, a forebear of almost everything modern horror is so if you haven't seen it please check it out it's on the line somewhere i'm sure but yeah that was my first one it just literally the shot of him coming out of the shadows um, in front of a card, and I was like, "That's just that, that's just not Fato in, in a nutshell." My second recommendation is a film that is kind of really not very well known at all. That uh, I I got it on DVD. Couldn't tell you where I got it from, um, but I yeah I own it, and it's a two thousand three film, Karandiru. I probably pronounced that wrong, um, but uh, Sam can probably correct me because he's spent some time in Brazil and knows how to say these things. But Karandiru. It is a film set in a prison, and it's about the people and the lives of people within the, this prison. And at this point, the prison is essentially a, it's more a slum than anything else. And one of the doctors who goes to work in that prison to try and to try and save people, um, but help them and sort of deal with that. So it's hard to talk about too much of it. It, it falls very much in the same kind of. Uh, sort of semantic style of things like City of Men, City of Boys, City of God, that, that kind of um, style of uh, what's it called like stories within stories and little vignettes within a world. Um, but yeah, it, it, it hasn't broken over in the UK in the way other films from that kind of era have. Mm. But if you've got time, check it out and you kind of enjoy uh, other films of that ilk, it'd be one oh. worth seeing. I wonder whether it suffers from in two thousand three was I think it was City of God same year. Mm. I wonder well, whether th- that was sort of the Brazilian breakout film and this guy was shadowed. I I can entirely believe that, and I think what well, I don't think that's a crime because I think City of God is a great film. Uh, this one deserves some t- attention too. Mm. What about you, Sam? I've got two. One more thematic. One definitely related. Um, so going for the more thematic one first, I thought about um, and again as as you drew the visual comparison, this is a, a film I thought of 
in one of those sequences that you described brilliantly as as grimy that there is something very grimy and seedy about the Yakuza sequences and we, we've talked about why but um, it reminded me of a great film from I don't know which, which year I will look it up um, it is the Richard Attenborough Brighton Rock um, very different geographically but similarly a story of crime and gangsters and oh, it was the year before 1947 what it was about then um, so that's my first recommendation this week and secondly I think it would well we'd be, be remiss to go a whole week talking about a film featuring TB and not mention the brilliant Tombstone which I think is possibly the film that gets mentioned most by both of us in the recommendations. It's because it's brilliant. So that's that's my second recommendation this week. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, guys, please come and find us online if you want to tell us how wrong or right we are about uh, Drunken Angel. And if you think you've missed anything, please let us know. We are back here next week, picking up two years later with certainly Kurosawa's breakout film, um, the 1950 film Rashomon till then you can find both of us on Twitter at Petty Podcast you can find just me at life underscore academic and you can find just me at Rob Kaiju and we'll be back here next week Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr. Arr.